No, you know what it will smell like? What? Ferrets. <gasps> I like the smell of ferrets. They kind of smell like weed. <laughs> What's up, witches? It's Claudia here, and I have some exciting news. Finally, we have created a Patreon. So you can find us at patreon.com forward slash true crime coffin pod. At the moment, there is only one tier. It's the familiar tier, and it's just where you can chuck us a quid just to help keep us going every month. We aim to expand on this and create new tiers and exciting content. But for now, if you'd like to support us in this way, please do go ahead. That's patreon.com forward slash true crime coffin pod. Enjoy the episode, guys. <laughs> What's up, witches? Hi, I'm Claudia. And I'm Simon. And welcome to True Crime Coven. Hi, Simon. How are you? Hello, Claudia. Lovely to be here. Yeah, you doing good? Yeah. It's a bit weird. <laughs> Being this side of the recording. Yeah, so I don't I don't know if people are aware. They should do, because we, we mentioned you. But Simon is our editor, our lovely editor. Hello. And with Jess being, you know, off and just obviously doing things, bits and pieces. Doing, <laughs> like, doing our baby. Doing a baby. Yeah. I asked Simon if he'd like to come on. He was like, oh, actually, I was going to say I'm happy to come on. So now you're in front of the microphone and probably regretting that decision. I said, I said that a while ago. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how this turns out. And I held you to it. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see whether this episode actually gets released. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> so, yeah, you take mine and Jess's nonsense every week. And you can attest that there's a lot of nonsense that there everyone is. else doesn't hear. There is a lot of nonsense. <laughs> one, one day, one day. Might, one day. Hear it. And uh, you make it into a listen-worthy episode. Hmm. And so, first of all, a massive thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Because I think when people think about podcasts, like they think of the hosts and sometimes they think about the research that goes into it. But I don't think people Which always think about the editing. It is important. Is but it? I don't think people always think about the editing. I mean, this is fairly simple. It's an audio podcast at the moment. It's not mm. particularly complicated, apart from the waffle. Um <laughs> Even that, you know, you, what, what do we release? Like a 45-minute hour, depending obviously what the subject matter mm. is, podcast. I, it probably takes me about, well, if I actually sat down and did it in one go, which I never do because I'm, I'm a, I get distracted, it'd probably take about five hours to do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard like, slog. Whatever, whatever you, I mean, video editing is even worse than that. It's usually like an hour per mm. minute or something like that when you get into like proper like production and that. But yeah. no, editing is, a, as you say, often... Not ignored, but sort of forgotten. forgotten about thing when you deal with, like you say, audio and video stuff where people, oh, you know, the, the work goes into presenting, the work goes, which it does, but yeah. I would say your is, job's harder. Yeah. <laughs> I come on and just waffle and I research. Take, it, just, it just takes longer. It's not, it's not really harder. It's probably easier than it's that. It's painstaking. It yes. It just takes more time because you can only do it so fast. So. Yeah, and it, and it's tedious at times, especially when you've got to listen to a Londoner and a Bristolian just go on about complete shite that's off topic. <laughs> Cut out various bits. <laughs> and you just sit there like, really? <laughs> and you, a lot of people may not know this, but you edit for us for free and you offered to do that. And I, I can't did. be more thankful because if you hadn't done that, this wouldn't exist because, or at least it 
well no it wouldn't exist because i would have had to learn how to edit and i probably would have procrastinated <laughs> that for forever <laughs> so yeah and before anyone thinks we're really mean he only does it for free because we currently don't make well we currently don't make any money we've started to make 16 dollars a month give or take patreon fees and so that of course goes to simon but it's nowhere near a living wage <laughs> but i did volunteer so, this so it's a lot sort of you being, did you did but the, uh, the aim is to one day uh, give yeah. you definitely a livable wage and that's just for full transparency as well that that's where the money goes it's not a plug to say like subscribe to our patreon so simon yeah, but can do. eat they do everybody, but, um, everybody should <laughs> but simon does need to eat and um you know 16 16 pounds a week and it gets you so much or 16 dollars i'm always confused as to what is it, it is it might be pounds actually I'm confused because then what it said that we got two lots of 16, but what turned up in the PayPal account wasn't two lots of 16. So. As you say, but there's definitely sort of cuts and fees and stuff in there. But and some hey, conversion rate, maybe. Whatever. But yeah, so thank you so much. I genuinely, this wouldn't, like I said, this wouldn't exist without you. And yeah, I'm really thankful. I'm so thankful for it. Especially because you offered and then I like was like, oh, yeah that'd be nice and then it took me a while to take you up on it and maybe you felt like you couldn't back out much I like recording today seven months. <laughs> <laughs> just some time um <laughs> a small amount of time passed so simon is there anything you want to tell us about yourself i know that you don't like being in the spotlight so much but no i mean i'm, I'm i call myself a freelance editor if, if you want to yeah. uh if you want to call it that basically means i do bits and bobs like this and yeah. uh <laughs> And, and Hopefully you normally to... get paid better. <laughs> well, possibly. <laughs> and no, I mean I, I'm I'm also down in the southwest. Let's say that you're uh, you're in Bristol. I'm down in Cornwall. Yes, so I I'm, I'm keep more saying southwest. Devon to you. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I asked you if you lived near Torquay at one point, and you were like, no, because that's Devon. grossly offended. Yeah, as, you were grossly um, offended. Unlike Jess, as everyone can know, I'm definitely from Cornwall. This is a, a, a authentic. <laughs> Cornish accent. Cornish accent. <laughs> well, isn't Cornwall now its own country, technically? I think some people might like to think they, so, yeah. but not really. So, the month is October. Yep. The atmosphere is spooky. Spooky, yeah. Spooky. So, just all ghost stories, yeah? That's all we're doing this month, just all ghost stories. Well, in a way, <laughs> this true crime case is a bit of a ghost story. So, I did want to honour this month, this Halloween month in the podcast. It seemed fitting. Mm -hmm. ideally we would have done a theme of sorts you know like 13 episodes in a row or something but that just wasn't doable for anyone's schedule that's a lot of work um, that's, that's so much work that i you know were also not that organized uh, no. <laughs> but of course ghost stories are always inherently spooky so mm -hmm. we had that covered but i didn't want to leave the listeners who come for the true crime empty-handed for the whole of october so i decided to look up some true crime cases that sort of fit into the Halloween theme. They have a spooky edge, shall we say. Okay. That being said, as always, these are real people, real victims. So regardless, the Halloween true crime cases are still going to be handled with respect. We aren't going to be sat here like, oh, spoopy doopy murder, like that will never be us. Uh, I hope to never get to oh, that you should, point. You should hear some of the stuff that Claudia and Jess say about people off, oh, they have to cut it. Oh, some of the things they're saying about people, <laughs> it's awful. Oh, it's so... <gasps> You're not meant to tell everyone. <laughs> I know we're just—it's just a fake PC thing, isn't <laughs> exactly. it? We're like, yeah, we're really, we're really inauthentic. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, yes, you say, but it's spooky, but still there. Uh, still still respectful. respectful. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, with that being said, let's jump into today's true crime case. Simon, have you ever heard of Carl Tanzler? Nope, I have not. So, I actually don't know how much true crime you listen to in real life, if what, any. Apart, apart from the wonderful True Crime Coven podcast. Yeah, of course, the top number one podcast. Not actively, by any means, so not to the level that you and Jess do. Do you not? I probably absorb it more than anything, you know, sort of almost by accident yeah. with things rather than actually, you know, as you say, listening to podcasts or things like that. But I've, I've what you know, you watch things on telly, don't you, where it's it technically is true crime. It's just mm. not necessarily labelled as such. But so, yeah, I have found yeah, it interesting. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, that's fair. I suppose I should also ask you, do you believe in ghosts? Absolutely not. <laughs> you two are okay. rambling on every other week about killing ghosts. <laughs> No, not really. I would just say I'm a bit more sceptical than you two. And you're just like, they do not exist. And there's me and Jess like, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> I would just say I am not as committed as you and Jess. Let's, not let's ghost inclined. Yeah. Well, in that case, let's get into a bit of Carl Tanzler. Right. So the name seemed a bit familiar to me, but I'm not sure if that's because I looked up cases for Halloween beforehand a while ago mm-hmm. and then came back to him. Or, you know, if I have actually taken something in and not realised. Yeah. So before we go any further, I will do trigger warnings. There's a few. There is a brief mention of miscarriage, but no details. There is mutilation of a corpse and ill mental health with mention of psychosis. And there is necrophilia. So quite a few things there. And if these are things that you don't want to listen to or can't listen to right now, Absolutely no worries. Look after yourself and we'll see you next time. Does that include so, me? <laughs> no, you have can to I, stay. Can I not listen to it? That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did say it was a it was a case and a half. Um, oh, goody. So let's begin our case today by speaking about Carl Tanzler. Carl Tanzler, also known as Count Carl von Kosel, was born George Carl Tanzler on February 8th, 1877. Today, however, we'll just refer to him as Karl Tanzler, or Karl. As one of his names might suggest, he was born in Germany. Dresden, to be exact, which is the capital city of the German state of Saxony and its second most popular city. Not gonna lie, I didn't know Germany had states. You learn something new every day. I know very little about geography. Uh, <laughs> just dropping this in here, and I will leave this in. Geography with Claudia and Jess is hilarious it never gets in it's always cut out because usually it's so bad i don't want to make people think they're that stupid but honestly yeah. it's amazing how little these two know about the world i know a lot about the world nothing about where everything is i had a really bad geography teacher and i'm not calling her out but i once tried to get involved in the lesson and she told me if i didn't stop asking questions she'd move me to the back of the classroom so she weren't great carl tanzler grew up in imperial germany but must have had the urge to travel because whilst timelines are a bit difficult to come by, we know that he arrived in Australia from India prior to the start of World War One. Now, can I just say, some sources say Austria, which makes more sense to me, but I then looked up where he goes on to be in Australia or in Austria. I looked up the place name and it is somewhere that exists in Australia. Well, if he did arrive there from India, that would make sense. Again, you would know. It would make sense to go from Germany to India to Austria. That would be a bit sort of... True. Uh, no, I know I know that much. I know that much. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> the editorial note of an article by Carl von Kosel, a.k.a. Carl Tanzler, 
in the Rosicrucian Digest suggests that he stayed in Australia for 10 years, despite his plans originally to only stop there briefly, and that when the war broke out, the British military authorities placed him in a camp for safekeeping, along with officers from India and China who were prisoners of war. He was later moved to Trial Bay to a castle-like prison on the cliffs, and that is where I looked up, and that does exist in Australia. So, At the end of the war, no prisoner was allowed to return to their residence, and instead they were all taken to the prisoners' exchange in Holland. Whilst this is his account only, and so may not be completely factual, another prisoner named Nyana Tiloka Mahathera, and I hope I said that right, was able to corroborate his story, and also stated that he and Carl Tanzler planned to escape from Trial Bay with the sailboat that they had built in secret. And I'll give them that. That's quite cool. Secret sailboat? Badass. Fair dues. Yeah. yeah. Also, very good of your hands. Like, However, we don't know if it actually floated. Ah, but did it happen though? Mm. Did it happen? Did it float? Carl Tanzler then returned to Germany to find his mother, whom he hadn't heard of since the war had broken out. Thankfully, she was safe and he stayed with her for three years. In around 1920, Carl married a woman named Dora Schaefer, and together they had two daughters, with Aisha being born in 1922 and Clarista just two years later in 1924. Sadly, though, Clarista died of diphtheria, although I couldn't find information on how long she lived for. Again, a bit patchy there. Carl's mother suggested to him that he emigrate to America like his sister, and so, in 1926, he did just that. Setting sail from Rotterdam on February 6, 1926, Carl journeyed to Havana in Cuba. After arriving there, he then settled in Zephyrils in Pasco County, Florida, where his sister resided. Doris and his two daughters then joined him later. In 1927, Carl Tanzler took a job at the US Marine Hospital on Florida's Key West Island as a radiology technician under the name of Carl von Kozel. With these two locations being almost 300 miles apart, Carl left his wife and daughters behind in order to start this chapter in his life. And it is here that our case truly begins. On April 22nd, 1930, whilst working at the US Marine Hospital, 53-year-old Carl Tanzler met a 21-year-old patient called Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyas, whom people called Helen. However, she is most commonly referred to throughout my research as Elena. So that's how I'll refer to her in today's case. I don't know if that's because Helen and Elena are sort of maybe, interchangeable yeah. between um, cultures, maybe. I also have really, really high hopes for her. I, I am sure she's going to be fine. I have no worries whatsoever. We, we are all rooting for, for Elena. Elena was the middle daughter of a local cigar maker called Francisco Pancho Hoyas and her mother was Aurora Milagro. Her older sister was Florinda Milagro Hoyas, who was affectionately known as Nana, and her younger sister was named Celia Milagro Hoyas. And on a completely unrelated side note here, how beautiful are the names in this case, by the way? We've got like Aisha, Clarista, Aurora, Celia. (laughs) I'm just loving the names. I think they're nice. Alina's also a really nice name. Love them. On February 18th, 1926, Elena married a man named Louis Messer. However, he left Elena after she miscarried their child and moved to Miami. So he sounds charming. What a guy. I know, like, what a lad. However, legally, Elena and Louis would stay married. Elena was said to be seen as a local beauty on the island of Key West, 
with her beautiful curly dark hair and matching dark eyes, along with her lightly tanned Cuban complexion, generally associated with those of Hispanic and Latino heritage. And I hope I'm right in saying that Cubans are both considered Latino and Hispanic, because my research threw up both and conflicting information. And so I tried to educate myself, but if anyone is more educated than myself on this, please feel free to correct me. And so back to April 22nd, 1930, Karma Alina at the hospital after her mother brought her in for an examination. And instantly, Carl felt that he recognised her as the woman from his visions. You see, Carl claimed that during his childhood, and also whilst travelling in Italy, he had been visited by visions of a long-dead alleged ancestor known as Countess Anna Constantia von Kozel, who was, by the way, a real person, a noble woman who lived from 1680 to 1765. Anyway, he claimed that she revealed to him the face of his true love, an exotic, dark-haired woman. And so, when the exotic, dark-haired Elena stepped into the room, he believed that she was his true love. Sadly, Elena's diagnosis would turn out to be tuberculosis a bacterial infection that usually affects the lungs of the infected individual, but can affect any part of the body. It is spread through tiny droplets from coughs or sneezes of the infected person being inhaled by another individual. Today, although still a potentially serious condition, it can be successfully treated with antibiotics. However, in 1930, a diagnosis of tuberculosis, sometimes shortened to TB, was essentially a death sentence with the transmission of infections, both viral and bacterial, much less understood. Additionally, it wasn't until November 1944 that antibiotics were first used to treat tuberculosis. And the use of treatments at the time for TB, though it isn't known if these methods were necessarily carried out on Elena, were invasive surgery, as well as having dedicated facilities for those with the infection to live in a famous place of note being the allegedly haunted Waverley Hills Sanatorium. It was believed that fresh air itself was a great treatment for TB as well. And I also really want to visit Waverley Hills Sanatorium. It's also got like um, a body chute that they oh. used to put the bodies through doesn't, that doesn't, you can walk through. Doesn't every building? Do you not have one of them? Oh, no, I think, um, I think ours got bricked up, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> Carl Tanzler fancied himself somewhat of a medical expert. Of course he did. Of course. And whilst he may have been a medical professional as a radiography technician, a highly skilled job in itself, a doctor he was not. I mean, I'm a nurse, but I am not a doctor. And this didn't stop him from trying to treat Elena with a variety of medicines, as well as x-rays and electrical equipment that he would bring round to her family home. According to the Ghost City Tools website, Carl even used electrodes to shock Elena believing that he could charge her oxygen electrons to cure her. He also showered the young woman with gifts, bringing her jewellery and clothing, even went as far as to profess his love to her, but there is no evidence to suggest that Elena returned his affections, although Carl did form a close relationship with her and her entire family. And I mean, he would. He's round there every week, bringing her presents, trying to save their daughter's life. I yeah. imagine... Most people were kind of thankful in one regard, even if they're a bit weirded out. And and so far, you see, it's, you know, not sounding too bad. You know, it's a bit sort of, you know, getting a bit involved, it, but... I mean, he is 53 and she's 21. He's trying to help. Oh, that, yeah, that part of it. Yeah, the, the sort of infatuation part of it. But uh, he's trying to help, you know. Yeah, and if you just, you know, most people would do anything for their children to be 
you know cured of horrible illnesses especially something like tb where you see someone just like literally coughing their guts up yeah so i get it but sadly at the age of just 22 elena died on october 25th 1931 at 4 30 p.m in her parents home at key west with carl only knowing her for around 18 months in total heartbroken but determined to provide for the woman he believed to be his true love Carl Tanzler offered to pay for Alina's funeral, which the family accepted, and it was to take place the very next day. Which I don't know if that was a custom, but just seems like possibly even just a a, you know of the time. You don't know whether it's just you know just people just got on with it because it was sort of you know there's no facility or no sort of uh, money to you know not keep someone to do it. (laughs) Yeah, and also I know that there wasn't. It wasn't the most populated island that it is today. No. So they probably could have a quick turnaround, so to speak. Sure. Family and friends passed by Elena's open casket to pay their last respects. As Carl passed by, he placed a letter inside her coffin, which read, in part, You are free to go wherever you wish. Elena, please come to me, sweetheart. I long so much for you. With Elena now deceased and put to rest, you might think that Carl Tanzler will continue on with his life as usual, grieving occasionally for, in his mind, his lost love. But it would appear that Elena's death would do nothing to stop Carl spending his life with her. After their beloved daughter died in their home, the Hoyer's family decided they could not bear to live there anymore and decided to move to another town. When they told Carl of this, though, he couldn't understand how they could leave the place that Elena had called home. He demanded that he rent Elena's old room from them complete with all her old furniture. He wrote in his memoirs that from then on he slept in Elena's bed, which still preserved the sweet scent of her hair. I also gather from this, though it wasn't expressly said, that they still moved out. Right. And I gather from this because of what you'll see later. He became worried about the state of her body, though, having only been placed in a shadow grave and with the area expecting heavy rainfall. Carl Tanzler wrote in his memoirs about how he decided then to erect a mausoleum for his darling Elena. And so he began planning this meticulously, buying an additional plot to house the grand tribute and shelter. But with the rain still coming, he decided he needed to ensure that Elena wasn't decomposing. And so, as far as Carl states, though we only have his word to go on, he removed her body from the grave that was indeed in a state of decomposition, as to be expected, and took her to a mortuary with the permission of a mortician, where they returned her back to a more decent state and placed her in a new coffin, and then sealed that coffin into a new metal outer coffin, which was supposedly airtight. And I can see your face, Simon. I know. I know. It gets worse. He also writes about how, on another night, he placed it into an incubation tank with antiseptic and nourishing fluid for body cells, Essentially, he suspended her in a solution similar to formaldehyde, though, of course, it is not known how embellished his memoirs are. When the mausoleum was complete, Elena was once again laid to rest there. It was constructed to look like a small summer home, with a short and wide door that came to a point with a window inside. On the other side of the door were two small pillars on which to place flowers, and to the right of the door, if you're looking at the mausoleum, was a plaque with Elena's inscription bearing her name, birth and death dates. And the Latin inscription on the burial site read, Are you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. 
Asocitus ab angelus, which translates in English to summoned by angels. Some reports state that whilst the Hoyas family gave permission to Carl to construct the tomb, they were unaware that he would hold a key to it. Although to me, this kind of goes about saying like it looks like a very usable door. Mausoleums are less common nowadays and a lot of them don't have doors or like easy doors per se, do they? But this very much looks like a normal door, like it's got a brass door handle. I know what you mean. You, you often assume it's more just like a, it's a sort of grand big tombstone rather than actually like being chamber. an accessible thing like a yeah often like it's like bricked up or like it's like a brick door that it's you'd not really meant have to be to accessed like... it's like that they're in there it's not meant to be yeah yeah you're not meant to visit them no <laughs> no um carl didn't get that memo no though. <laughs> that's because carl's a little bit crazy yeah so carl visited elena every day sitting inside the mausoleum on a small chair beside her coffin then one day he claimed her coffin sprung open after he had fallen asleep during his visit he thought this to be a practical joke from Elena, referring to himself as her bridegroom in his writings and talking about how she liked to joke around. He goes on to say that he had scratching coming from inside the coffin and so removed the lid to find her inner coffin still perfectly intact because, of course, he removed the metal lid. After removing that lid, so now the normal coffin lid, and checking the incubator's filter, he said the mausoleum was filled with the scent of his much-loved bride and the smell of her hair, and that it smelt like a warm, living young woman. And he kind of seems like a bit obsessed with the smell of her hair, doesn't he? Like, that it's just stuck out to me. If, and, that's, and that's in his writing, never mind, you know, that's actually him writing that as well. It's not sort of yeah, reported. That's He's not speculation. That. He's talking... I mean, it's speculation that that's how yeah, nice it smells. he's saying... But, that, oh, he's using the words and he's actually saying, ooh, smell of yeah. her hair. And I know, like, a lot of women, like, the smell of the hair is sort of, like, associated with them, because obviously if you hug a woman, you can smell yeah, her hair. Yeah, but I don't think but it goes like, on when you're dead. No. <laughs> I don't think if you use Pantone Pro-V, that's going to be the overwhelming smell, you know? After that day, Carl said that Elena began speaking with him, and that he would hear her voice distinctly, and know that she was there with him. He would bring her flowers every night, along with other gifts, much like he had when she was still alive. On one Christmas afternoon, Carl was visiting when he said he felt hands on his face and head and that the touch was familiar to him. It was Elena's. He took photos and when they were developed, he saw a white human figure outlined in the entrance to the tomb. He assumed this to be a curious passerby and was annoyed by the intrusion, so much so that he changed his visiting time to much later, during darkness hours, so as to not be disturbed. However, when he approached during one night, when the cemetery was brightly lit by the light of the full moon, he saw a white figure once again standing by the door of the tomb. The figure vanished through the locked door, and when Carl entered the mausoleum, he smelled the familiar sweet scent he associated with Elena. And probably her hair. Probably her hair. <laughs> Next, he began to hear Elena singing over the coming weeks. She was singing what he called, quote-unquote, their song. La Boda Negra, which is about a heartbroken lover digging up the body of his deceased love. Carl took this as a sign and stated that he then hatched a plan with Elena, who said that her friend in the grave next door would help them as well.
so not only is he speaking to Elena, Elena is apparently friends with the woman buried next door to her and right. is like, yeah, like, that one will help us with this dead plan. Pals. I mean, that's nice. If, if, if the afterlife is that, and I suppose that it's going to be really, really lonely to be in an urn because let's be honest, none of us can afford to get buried. So keep your urns together. Do you want to be buried? I very much don't mind what happens to me once I'm dead. I can't think if you I can't think if you and Jess have talked about it, but I was wondering if you know, sort of, if you had any sort of uh, strong um, feelings either way. I think I'd rather be burnt, but to most of you, I want to donate my body to science because it might as well do something useful. To most of you, I'll leave it up to whoever's there to look after me. Yeah, <laughs> Karen. <laughs> yeah, Karen will do. It. Now we all know I believe in ghosts and hauntings. And I do believe that our loved ones here can come back to us and can communicate to us. And this could be the case here. But I think more so that we're seeing a mental health crisis and we're seeing psychosis. Well, I was going to say, if you, if you imagine, you know, this, this all essentially stems back from him seeing the ghost of his, whatever that relative was, you know. A long dead ancestor. A long dead ancestor. That, that's where this all came from, really, wasn't it? With, with mm-hmm. you know earmarking elena as the love of his life so it, yeah. it's all coming from essentially a, you know as you say whether it's a ghost or not a, a sort of delusion that he's got yeah so it's not surprising then that you've ended up with a situation where he's he's, he's yeah. fixated on this so i think in today's terms we would see this as someone with a mental health history yeah undiagnosed or un like not picked up on and then we would see this as a descent into some sort of delusion. Interestingly, mental health professionals say that you can't have hallucinations and delusions at once. It's either right. one or the other. So I don't know whether we'd say it's he's delusional or he's having auditory hallucinations. Mm-hmm. But either way, something's going on. I think the disproportionate infatuation of a young woman more than half his age, who didn't appear to reciprocate his feelings, is sort of red flag number one. Well, yes. And, you know, age gaps can be completely fine. And then I also think the fact that his feelings just developed so quickly is also concerning. Now, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen. I'm actually listening to a true crime case called Matty by Casefile at the moment, which I highly recommend. It's a 10 episode case where they've included the family talking about the disappearance of their son. And in that, they talk about how they met and were married within a few months and they've now been together 43 years so it happens true love happens like that sometimes but as you said but that's again where it's, it's reciprocated so it's not that's not the same thing is it and also it's the fact that he has continued the yeah. infatuation as you say basically that's what it is after she's dead there's being like the fair enough if you don't want to remarry or you don't want to get in another relationship like you're dedicated to them but that's very different to this level of Digging up the body. Yes. I think that's where... I think that's the line, there's isn't the, it? The, I, I think you discussed this only a few weeks ago. There's the line, you know. There's the line. <laughs> we found it. Don't cross that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's not... He's not mentally well. That's my feeling, personally. And this, alongside digging up her body to preserve her, if that truly did happen, we don't know, are just clear signs of mental illness. And even if he didn't dig up her body... The fact that he fabricated it in his own memoirs is a bit concerning, because who fabricates that? Exactly. You know, you know, you're bringing in more problems than actually would be even if you were just doing half of it. You're actually making it worse yeah. for yourself. 
I guess it could be like fantasy, people could say, but it's. I feel like you'd have different fantasies. You'd you'd have a fantasy of her like coming back to life or something. Yeah, this is this is it's... almost. You wouldn't make this up. <laughs> no, no, you wouldn't think the so. The things anyway. you did, never mind what you know, what you know, why you did that. You wouldn't make the things yeah. you did up if you did those things. It would be uh, oh. unusual. Exactly. It's it's all very unusual. I did very I did unusual. warn you. Yeah. <laughs> now. As we said, being buried these days is rare. It's expensive. The only person I know who has been buried is my granddad. And I think that was something that was reserved years ago. And whilst I think it's totally normal that most people don't want to imagine what happens to their loved ones once they're buried or put to rest in whatever way. Yeah. And the less said about that, the better. I imagine it would be even more painful for them to then remove them from the ground and restore them. Now, I'm not squeamish. I've seen some things in my time as a nurse. But even I don't really like the thought of that. No. I, I can't imagine many people do. I imagine many people, no matter what, don't don't go to those lengths. No. So do I think he was being visited by Elena's ghost and being told to remove her from her grave? No. Do I think Carl was mentally unstable and delusional? Yes. Or hallucinating. Regardless, one night in April 1933... Carl Tanzler crept into the cemetery and removed her body from the mausoleum on a toy wagon. Now, this is a bit of a side note as well, but one, I found it funny that he apparently had a conversation with her, according to his memoirs, where he said, oh, but how am I meant to get you out of here? Like, people are used to seeing coffins going in, but they're not used to seeing them come out, which I just thought was quite a good observation he had. Um, (laughs) That's fair. Apparently, in order to, like, make sure no one saw, he put like a rag not a rag like a sheet over the railings of the cemetery which makes sense but then as he was like getting her over the railings because i presume it was locked at night is what they're going on he like fell and the coffin fell on him is one thing i saw i don't know if that's correct but i thought it was a side note because it's kind of like like an awful comedy film Exactly, like, it's something a, that would happen in like in between us. Just got a coffin out of a graveyard, it just lands on you. <laughs> like, it's a bit reminiscent of. Did you ever watch watch Skins? I am far too old for Skins. <laughs> I was your, well, that was your Skins talk with uh, with Emma. With Emma, and I was just going, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Skins is pretty good, you know. I'm too old. <laughs> well, there's a bit in Skins where one of the characters, and this isn't a spoiler because if you haven't watched it by now, you know, one of the characters, Chris, dies and they're not allowed to go to his funeral because the dad doesn't like the friends. So they steal his coffin and they're driving around Bristol streets, which are obviously really hilly, with it in the car. So honestly, it just reminds, like, if that happened, that's just a bit like in between as Skinsy to me. like. But I don't know if it did. This is the thing. A lot of this story is like, ah, but we do know this happened. We know certain things happen, but not necessarily in what order and or if it's all true. No, but we know this happened. Yep. There is proof, which we'll get on to. Yep. Yep. Once home, in the house that Elena too had once called home while she was alive, Carl again preserved her body. And this we know to be a fact. So, in order to do so, he attached her corpse's bones together with piano wire and coat hangers. He fitted her face with glass eyes. As the skin had begun to decompose, he replaced it with silk cloth, which was soaked in wax and plaster of Paris. And like plaster of Paris is rock hard, by the way, like wax kind of makes more sense. Mm. But plaster of Paris is like knock on it hard. Well, this, this goes back to what you were saying about the he made that a boat. 
Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's... maybe he should have been a doll maker. Which is also creepy. I'm, I'm going to a doll museum this weekend. You are insane. <laughs> <laughs> the person I'm going with really loves dolls, so it, I thought it's creepy. They're going to think it's you, great. You, you've had you've had many a doll conversation on the ghost. Dolls are creepy. With, with Jess, but... and and you haven't made them creepy. Have you know, gone to and I, I find dolls incredibly creepy. I'm not going to sleep at the no. museum though. So my girlfriend's mum has a doll, which I think someone made for her when she was a kid, when she was when she was young. It's quite big. That's it's, cute. Quite, it's quite you know it's quite large. It's like a sort of soft doll. It's called Jessica. Oh. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Jess. And Jessica always terrifies me. <laughs> and then one one time when I went to see her, her mum put you know those vacuum storage bags that you put like clothes into, like sort of oh yeah yeah. You know, so you, they they take up less space. She put Jessica in one of them. Is like a tiny mm. way, and I, <laughs> that's the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. <laughs> a sort of a vacuum packed <laughs> doll, Jessica doll face looking at me, <laughs> squished up. <laughs> Just like, like, no, thank you. A fun fact my I think he would have sort of been my uncle or my cousin. I'm is one of those relatives that's like you're not sure what he is to you, but he's something to you. Yeah, oh, I can't remember his last name now, but his first name was oh frank mumford but he was quite a famous puppeteer who put on shows for the royal family with his puppets and when he died my sort of aunt jenny had to she was the one closest to him she had to get all his puppets and his dolls and transport them around the country like some of them are in the vna and Mm -hmm. stuff and which is the victorian albert museum for anyone who's not aware and she said that one night they stayed in a hotel and she couldn't leave them in the car because they're so precious that yeah. if something happened to them. But they didn't want them in the room of them. So they sort of like put them in the room and put loads of things on top of them because they were just so freaked out. <laughs> so as we were saying, as the skin began to decompose, he replaced it with silk cloth, soaked in wax and plaster of Paris. Very hard. He then replaced Elena's hair that fell out with a wig that he fashioned from cuttings of her own hair. To keep the form of her body, he stuffed her chest cavity and abdomen with rags and then dressed her remains in stockings, jewellery and gloves and also clothes. It wasn't included in the description, but clothes. He then reportedly slept with her body in his bed, or should I say Elena's old bed, every night. To cover up the smell of decomposition, Carl used perfumes, disinfectants and preserving agents. I I don't think that's working. I I also think Carl used denial. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think you can, yeah, you, you can spend as much air freshener as you like. That is not going away. Yeah, if we if we ever release a True Crime Coven perfume, which would be crazy in and of itself, we will call it denial because oh. that's what he's using. I, th- I, th- I think you'll find it'll be a candle. I think that's the go-to now, isn't it? A, oh. uh, a prune candle. I do. I have got all my candles lit. Because that this, the go-to now seems to be awful smelling candles as well, doesn't it? Yeah, sort of the, the oh, trend of... yeah, there's so many lovely candles as well in TK Maxx at the moment that are really spooky and all great. And I go to smell them and they're just... But, but no. I say, it's all right if it's intentional, <laughs> but if it's actually if it's just yeah. genuinely bad. No, denial can smell lovely. It'll smell like... No, you know what it'll smell like? What? Ferrets. <gasps> I like the smell of ferrets. They kind of smell like weed. Now, in terms of where he restored Elena, he did so in a makeshift home laboratory. As you do. Yep which he had built in the shape of an airplane. He then nicknamed this Elena's airship. That's really boring, Accor- by the way. That's not creative at all. He's, he's been very good so far about being creative. <laughs> I'm disappointed in him, but that name is terrible. He's just not... I mean, to be fair, I would say he's not a wordsmith, but having read his memoirs, he kind of is. 
lazy. But then everyone spoke like how he wrote at the time. In this one instance, lazy. In this one, he, he was just like, I got nothing. According to all that's interesting, Carl Tanzler believed that he could one day fly Elena's corpse into the stratosphere so that radiation from outer space could penetrate her tissues and restore her life. And I don't really have words to comment on that, to be honest. That's... Yeah. Do you? No. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> That's a, amazing. It's very much an okay. However, still not the biggest problem with that plan. The, but the biggest problem is that it wouldn't work. <laughs> exactly. I'm no physicist or... I am somewhat of a biologist, but I'm no physicist. But don't think it's I think we can work. agree that would not work. No. If it did, I, f- I feel like it would have been done by now. I think someone would have found that out, yeah. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. And he lived with Elena in what he would likely call marital bliss, as there were even reports that he was seen dancing with her corpse in front of an open window. This went on for, presumably, seven years, because it wasn't until October 1940 that Elena's older sister Florinda, known as Nana, heard rumours of Carl sleeping with the disinterred body of her sister, and so went to confront him, where she found the mutilated body of her younger sister. Nana notified the police, and finally, Carl Tanzler was arrested. He was psychiatrically evaluated prior to his trial, and surprisingly, found to be mentally competent. I don't know how. Different times. I, I would say it's different times. He was charged with wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorisation, which I just want to say, in his defence, I don't think it was malicious. No, in, in his head, it was loving if you want to call it that it was it was he thought he was caring for her i don't think it was a good thing that he did but i don't think it was a malicious thing yeah i would imagine it's one of those where that's just literally a classification of a crime i don't (laughs) think they they have space for for... lovingly destroying a grave (laughs) so yeah Yeah, they haven't got one that covers this particular uh, crime no the preliminary hearing went ahead on october 9th 1940 at the monroe county courthouse in key west However, the statute of limitations had passed on his crime. And from what I can find, for non-serious offences now in North America, it's about five years. Mm, That's what I was going to say. I thought it was five years. But I'm unsure what would class as a serious crime now. Like, I think this could probably be something that people would still be convicted on Mm -hmm. after that amount of time now. Because I imagine families would push for that. Nevertheless... The case against Carl Tanzler was dropped. A small while later, Elena's corpse was examined by physicians and pathologists and even put on display at the Dean Lopez funeral home, where around 6,800 people queued to view her body. And honestly, like, hasn't this poor woman been through enough? She dies at age 22 from a horrible chest infection, to put it lightly. Yeah. She then maybe gets dug up twice and restored and placed in an incubator surrounded by disinfectant fluid. Sure. She's then dug up another time, yeah. restored crudely again, and made to play house for seven years with a man more than twice her age. But I just really think, like, could she just not be allowed to rest, please? She's been through so much as a dead person, probably more than she went through as an alive person. Yeah. In a way, yeah. And, like, although I said that I think, you know, I don't care what happens to my body... Elena didn't say that. But I think we can agree that you wouldn't want this to happen. (laughs) No. Like, I might not care what happens, but I care enough to not want this. Yeah. 
Thankfully, her body was eventually returned to the Key West Cemetery, where she was put to rest in an unmarked grave so as to avoid further tampering. Which is nice, but also really sad again. Like, it seems like Elena loses again. Nothing she did to cause that, that she's ended up in an unmarked grave. No headstone, no visitors, like it was in a secret location. Yeah. No flowers. I feel like I want to go and give this woman some flowers, to be honest. But no one can even do that now. We don't know where she is. And as you say, that's that's the difference, well, isn't it, with with the sort of burial cremation, whichever, you know, the sort of thing is that obviously that's the other thing a lot of people don't now get graves because they're not buried. No. So not only did she have all this horrendous stuff happen to her and then she doesn't even get a headstone, she doesn't get anything. It turns out that what happened to her after death might be even worse. So two doctors who attended Elena's autopsy in 1940 named Dr. Foraker, and I'm really sorry, but the other one was called Dr. Deepu. And sorry, but yes, that name is Deepu, as in capital D-E, capital P-O-O. And I am a child who has to point that out, I'm afraid. You, you can't not laugh at that, can you? <laughs> yeah, I. it's one of those ones where it's a bit like, sorry, could I have a different doctor? <laughs> if, if your if your surname is Depu, you, you don't go into medicine, do you? You just you, you just don't become a, a teacher, job. though. You do not become a teacher. Good morning, Mister Depu. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not yeah. work, is it? I mean, I had a teacher called Doctor Poshas. Doctor Poshas, Mister Pas- Mister Poshas. Mister Poshas. Yeah. Anyway, these two physicians recalled that a vaginal tube had been inserted into the vaginal area of Elena's corpse, which allowed for penetration. However. They only came out of this information in 1972, over 30 years after the case had been dropped, and since no evidence of necrophilia or of this tube was presented at the 1940 preliminary hearing, this has remained a point of contention. Personally, I think it's completely possible. I don't think, given all that we know that Carl Tanzler did do, and what he wrote about her still smelling good and everything, Mm. that it's not out of the realm of possibility that he would do something like this. But that's just my opinion. However, I don't think it's that he was necessarily into necrophilia. I just think he was really into Elena. Because he's, I suppose he didn't really see her as dead, dead in a way, did he? Yeah, and he wrote about that in his memoirs. I can't remember the exact thing he wrote, but he wrote about that. I don't think he's like, you know, obviously like we've got people like Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein who very much their whole thing was dead bodies and dead yeah. people. I don't think he's in that category. I think he's in the category of just this one woman. Because it's not like, as you say, it's not like other bodies, it's not other people involved. No. It's just one. I think the fact that she was dead was not a good thing for him. No. Amazingly, and perhaps tellingly, of how he could carry out this behaviour and still be found mentally sound, most locals were sympathetic towards Carl Tanzler and thought of him as simply an eccentric romantic. And for the record, I'm okay with flowers. Yeah. In 1944... Carl moved back to Florida, Pasco County to be exact, where he wrote an autobiography titled Fantastic Adventures, which I hope was more centred around his travelling than his love affair of Elena's corpse, although I suppose we all know which content would still sell the most copies today. He lived near his wife, because remember he was still legally married to the mother of his children, I'd forgotten about her. (laughs) Yep, no, Doris is still there. And she apparently helped to support Carl in his later years, which means she is a much better woman than I, or she recognised him being mentally unwell, one or the other. Despite now being permanently separated from his true love, Carl wasn't going to stop his obsession there, because of course he wasn't. He used a death mask, apparently, 
to create a life-size effigy of Elena. Of course he did. And he lived with this until he died at age 75 on July 3rd, 1952. Now, I just want to say, why didn't he do that in the first place? But that's by the by. It took three weeks for his body to be found. Some people have gone on to say that he was found in the arms of his homemade effigy of Elena. But in actuality, his obituary at the time reported that he died on the floor behind one of his organs. And again, I think that's just another example of like people really like to like blow this case up more, which I don't think it needs. I feel like it needs no more. But no. people really like to like roll with it, don't they? And just like add things to it. Well, as you say, and they'll sort of almost romanticise it because mm. it was sort of a strange story. So it's like, oh, it has to end with him in the arms uh, of the, the effigy, you know, sort of, rather than actually just innocuously on the floor. Yeah, like it sounds more like, like I kind of still want to say bless him because it's sad, like he fell and couldn't get up and died. Like that's more what it sounds like to me, behind an organ, but who knows. An article written by William Mickelfelder in 1982 also stated that renovation workers had found a note allegedly written by Carl Tanzler in which he confessed to having poisoned and killed Elena by giving her a mixture of wolfsbane and aconite and that he did so out of mercy. Another writer backed this up by claiming that Carl Tanzler once told him that he would kill Elena if necessary to fulfil his destiny. However, in other memoirs published by Carl, he states to not be present when Elena died. And furthermore, we know TB to be an infection with a high mortality rate in the 1930s. And I know they say he did it out of mercy as in she was suffering and, you know, he thought he'd end it. But I just don't, don't think he killed her. I think, if anything, he'd have done everything to keep her alive. Yeah. I feel like he's someone who would keep her alive despite how she was because, I mean, he slept with her dead body. I don't think he really minded how she was. To no. Be. To be blunt. But overall, this case is just really bizarre. To the point, I think it's hard to believe it happened, especially considering a lot of the information comes from Carl Tanzler himself. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, is, is it one of those where like, there's bits of truth in there? We know certain things happened, obviously, because they were documented as happening mm. or have, you know, the aftermath anyway. But whether everything mm. happened, as he said, yeah. I believe personally that... He got her out of the grave multiple times. I don't believe a mortician was in on it. Although someone suggested that in order for him to do that, it was sort of like, well, I have to take her out for the mausoleum to be built and then we can put her back. Yeah. So maybe some restoration was done because why not? She's out, I guess. Yeah. We know for a fact that he took her out of the grave, took her home and lived with her. Yes. We know for a fact how he reconstructed her because they were able to do an autopsy. Oh, and she was there. She was the she, they found her, so it's not like they didn't yes. know. Yeah. And we know that that all happened because there are photos of, of her restored body. Our photos, I will put them up on our social, but with a content warning, it won't be the first image. No. There's photos of the mausoleum, so we know he built that. There's photos of... Because I thought the laboratory was a bit far-fetched, and then I saw a photo and was like, oh, no, okay. So, yeah, he, he it's, it's something that I wouldn't believe and I don't believe until I see photos, and then I'm like, oh. I think whether, though, you believe all the accounts or just some... I think we can all agree that Elena really did not deserve what happened to her. No. Not, not only did she not deserve to catch TB, which did eventually go on to kill most of her family, but she did not deserve to just not be laid to rest. And I think that she deserved respect in her death and her family. They really deserved their daughter to just be, and their sister, to just be left at peace. And I think that's the main takeaway from this. We always like to remember that there is a victim and mm. the victim here really was Elena. 
really was her family and in some ways was maybe Carl. Although it didn't seem like he got any pushback from doing what he did. No. So. And like you say, she was, a, she was a victim essentially after death. And yeah, I think Carl was a victim in the fact that I believe he was mentally unwell, but yeah. it's not like he seemed to get any bad consequences from that. And no one believed him to be mentally unwell, not, not officially. And whether you think of Carl Tanzler as mentally unwell, a monster, or an eccentric romantic, I think we can also all agree that this is not normal or okay behaviour. And if you don't agree with that, just know that it's not normal or okay. Personally, I think he was very unwell, and I would love to know how a psychiatric evaluation found him anything but. I really wish we could get access to that just because I think it'd be really interesting to see the insights and how they came to that conclusion. I wonder if it's because he wasn't necessarily seen as a danger to anyone else. But then I would say, what if he got infatuated with someone else? Yeah. He didn't. Well, that, that's luckily. the other thing, like you say, about, about and then she was just basically unlucky that he mm. or she was in his orbit. This is the thing as well. I did. So there's there's two books that I, I, I scanned through for this case, and they're both fictional writings that take his memoirs and have them throughout and build a story that's like a normal fictional novel around it. So you, ha- I disregarded most of what they wrote and only looked at his memoir bits because I'm, you know, it wasn't what I was there for. Also find it a bit weird that they chose to do that. But yeah, and I believe they said, although this was in their novel type bit, that a lot of the patients they saw, with it being a U.S. Marine hospital, that's what they mostly dealt with soldiers, and so it was really unusual for him to have a woman brought in to to be his patient yeah. so I feel like and with where they are they're more likely to get women who are Hispanic sure so I feel like he's like oh I was meant to fall in love with this exact woman who's got dark hair dark eyes and is Hispanic or Latino but his, bra- his brain's concocted this because he knew that's what would probably be available yeah. or be exactly that's that's who's gonna most likely if a woman walks through the door that's who is gonna so walk subconsciously he's created this thing to basically match what he was gonna get access to yeah. for want of a better word also it did the classic thing both these bit, books were written by men and it did the classic thing of as she coughed her breasts rose and i was like of course a man wrote this she can't just cough can she that is definitely what happens i'm sure that's that's (laughs) (laughs) i mean to be fair when you cough your chest does rise but i was just like it's just you see that parody so much don't you (laughs) and it was just like of course like she's coughing up blood but it's sexy so i guess all it's left to say is let us know what you think what are your thoughts on carl tanzler is he a monster is he was he rather mentally unwell Please let us know what you think. Send us an email or message on socials. Stick around just after our outro to hear how. So I hope you can see why I decided this was a bit of a Halloween-themed case because I'm pretty sure living with a skeleton or a corpse and having a ghost talk to you and also mention their ghost friends, I would say that covers a Halloween base. Yeah, but it's it's also not often we deal with ones where, you know, the true crime one where the body is involved as you know as in afterwards it's usually mm. the murder happens they could do all yeah. sorts of terrible things but then that's that's done isn't it you know this is this is very much the crime is after um, yeah i mean i was going to do well we did have it with david fuller where he was a necrophiliac okay. um but 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to cover Ed Gein at one point, but I actually feel like I prefer doing lesser-known cases. Yeah, I think it, it's 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 easy to tap into well-known things and say, you know, oh, but then that's been done, isn't it? That's the other thing. Yeah, that's it's. I mean, I would have liked to have covered Jeffrey Dahmer one day because I find him one of the most interesting serial killers. I hate that people are romanticising him. Don't understand it. But now that the series come out, despite how inaccurate it is in places, I feel like there's not much need no. for it now. No. Something on the victims, absolutely. There could be like a 16 series thing just about each of the victims' lives and that probably should be done. But him himself, he's had the airtime. And he absolutely loved the airtime when he was alive. So I feel like at some point we have to stop talking about that man <laughs> and start talking about the 16 boys he murdered. Well, that, that's but, that serial killer 101, isn't it? That people always talk about the killer historically, yeah. or whatever, you know, however far it goes back and not mm. the victims. Most people don't even know what they're called because their names aren't no. out there. Or, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. I couldn't name... No. Dharma's victims but pick, pick, a, pick a serial killer you probably don't because it, there's first of all there's usually a lot of names to remember and, exactly and it's they're easier not the to remember one in the thing are they because that's that's what sells as you say it's uh, yeah. the interest is there it's, it shouldn't be well it shouldn't be but it's 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 not that you're not necessarily interested in the victims but the the draw is this it's the psychology isn't it man or woman that has killed a lot of people yeah that's the interest and why it's, it's, yeah and i think that's I've said this quite a few times on our Twitter recently, but it's fine to have that interest, but it's when you lose sight of the victims and when you start to, especially when you start to romanticise someone, absolutely, is when you should take a step back and be like, actually, maybe I shouldn't be consuming this anymore because who have I become? Regardless, <laughs> send us your thoughts on Carl Tanzler. Tell us what you think. Most of all, just remember, Elena deserved better in every way. And as always, especially this month, this October, remember... Stay spooky. Hey guys, if you have a ghost story or a case suggestion, please email us truecrimecovinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at truecrimecovin or on Instagram and Facebook where we are at truecrimecovinpod. Also, it would mean the absolute world to us if you could rate us wherever you're listening to this right now, be it Spotify, Apple Music, or if you're on YouTube, give us a little thumbs up, click that bell, get notifications yeah. every time we post. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from. Make these two witches smile. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, witches.